good to see you all here today. My name is Evan, if you're new with us. I'm the worship leader here at Epic. And uh, like Sarah mentioned, we are in a series called My Story. No matter how old we are, no matter what season of life we're in, we all have a story that we tell with our lives. And we all have chapters of those stories that we are really proud of, that we love to tell other people. We like to get together with friends and talk about old times. Uh, we like to, to reminisce about things that have happened previously talk about a great moment at work, or maybe brag on our kids a little bit. We all have moments in our stories, chapters in our stories that we love to tell, we're absolutely proud of. On the other side, we all have parts of our stories we wished we didn't have to tell. Those chapters that we would love to forget ever happened, sweep them under a rug, push them away, act like they never existed, uh, and, and never bring them back up again. But we have both. And unfortunately, what gets written in our stories stays written. We can't unwrite those moments in our lives, but we can choose to move on from them and do something different, right? And those things that we're not proud of, uh, they run the gamut. You know, when you look back at your life, I know, I think back when I was younger and things that I might say that I just kind of cringe at now, um, you know, maybe you made fun of somebody that um, didn't really deserve it, or it was just to get ahead in life uh, or to get ahead in a social circle. Maybe you let somebody else at work take the blame for you uh, for something that went on so that you could keep moving uh, down the line. And maybe they got stuck where they were in that position or in that job. Uh, maybe we burned bridges, you know, ended relationships badly or walked out of a job in, the, in an incorrect way, only to find out years later, we really wanted to come back and do that differently or find out that maybe that situation could have been handled a little bit differently so that we didn't burn the bridge and end the relationship or end the job in that way and we could go back at some point. Those moments in our lives we're not proud of, they stick with us. Right? And they're decisions that we make. And as we've been talking about for this entire series, kind of the bottom line concept is the decisions that we make today will determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. The decisions that we make today will determine the stories that we'll tell tomorrow. And that includes the good and the bad. So for the past few weeks, we've been talking about different decisions that we make. Week one, Trent talked about the decision to go. Right? He talked about deciding to follow what God had for him and his family and start Epic Church and the story that his life now tells because of that, the story that we tell as a church because of that, and that we all get to benefit from the fact that he decided to go like God asked him to do. And then last week, Tim talked about deciding to start, specifically deciding to start reading God's word more regularly to help fill gaps in our lives. So we all, um, we're at a certain point in our lives and all of us know we wanna be further down the road or maybe we feel like God wants us to be down here instead. And Tim talked about starting to read God's word on a regular basis so that we can fill that gap and get closer to being the people that God wants us to be. And it all comes down to the fact that we wanna live lives that are worth telling. I wanna live a life that has a story that's worth telling somewhere down the road, either now or a little bit down the road, or maybe as I come to the end of my life, or maybe as my children talked about me after I'm gone, I wanna live a life that's worth telling. In order to do that, I wanna move away from those bad decisions that I don't wanna make anymore. I wanna stop making those decisions. And so this morning, let's talk about those chapters in our lives that we're not proud of. We're gonna have a lot of fun this morning digging into the stuff that we don't wanna think about and we don't wanna remember. Uh, but hopefully God has something for us on the other side. So those decisions that we make that we're not proud of, um, they put us in a certain direction and we don't walk into those decisions or those situations most of the time with really bad intentions, right? We all assume the best out of all situations, or at least most situations, especially the ones we're involved in. 
Um, but it's not our intentions that always matter so much. Uh, there's a guy, I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Andy Stanley. He leads a little church up in Georgia. Uh, if you don't know who he is, check him out on Google. Uh, he's okay. Um, but he has this quote out of one of his books. He says, direction, not intention, determines destination. I'm going to say that again because it's a tongue twister. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So what he's saying is that it's the direction that our decisions put us on and not the intention behind the decisions that determine where we end up along the road, what our story looks like at the end. The intention often isn't enough to get us through and let us see a good ending to our story. So we need to put ourselves through this test. Right? There's a test that we can run where basically we look at the decisions that we're making and we ask ourselves, what's it look like at the end? Right? What, we play it forward. So what would happen if I continue to make this decision or these series of decisions? What's the story that I'm going to tell if I continue down this road? And we need to take the time to do that because if we don't, we might find out years down the road that we're in a place we never wanted to be that we've got to turn around, do a 180, go back and try and fix a lot of stuff. Or maybe there's stuff that we can no longer fix. But once we get down this far, there's not a lot we can do about it. If we stop, when we hit that decision and take the time to play it forward, maybe we don't have that issue down the road. So sometimes it takes years to figure it out. Sometimes, like the guys you're about to see, uh, we know immediately that we have made a terrible, terrible decision. Check this out. Now, I promise the little girl in the cat video made it through. She's alive and she's well. Um, yeah, what does every one of those videos have in common is that the people involved in the videos didn't stop and play the story forward before they decided to get into the situation. They knew immediately they had made terrible, terrible decisions in their lives. Um, if we stop and play the decisions forward, if we decide to stop ahead of time, then we can tell a life that's worth living. So this morning, we're going to look at a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Saul who didn't take the test. He didn't stop and try and figure out where are these decisions going to take me. And we're going to see how his life plays out and hopefully take something home from this. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's way at the beginning of your Bible in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to get up and grab one from the back or you can check out the screens. We'll put everything up for you. Um, and as you're trying to find it, uh, or as you're turning there, let me just give you a very tiny history lesson so we kind of are on the same page of where we are uh, with Saul. So Israel, before this point, isn't led by a king. It's led by uh, people like Moses and Abraham and Joshua, and they lead the people of Israel, and God speaks through them. And then as Israel continues to grow, as they settle in their land, uh, they need more leaders, and so they have prophets, and they have um, judges who kind of help bring Israel back on track because they have this habit of, of messing up all the time, just like all of us. Um, and so they need people to bring them back in line and get them back in the place where God wants them to be. And at some point, Israel looks around and says, you know what? Nobody else does it our way. Every nation around us has a king. We want a king. God says, you really don't want a king. It's not going to turn out well. He said, no, we really want a king. He said, no, they're going to take money from you. They're going to tax you. They're going to take your land. They're going to take your young men and women, conscript them into service, make them part of the army or part of the household. And Israel said, we don't care. We want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. So God says, okay, I'll give you a king. And he sends his prophet Samuel, uh, the guy the, from the name of the book, and he sends him out to anoint the first king of Israel. And that's Saul. And Saul is this really tall, good-looking guy. Everybody expects him to be an amazing king. And so God anoints him king. And almost immediately, 
Saul gets into this habit of doing things his way instead of stopping and listening to God. And he makes decisions uh, out of haste and out of anger and out of frustration and out of his own pride. And what we see time and time again in his life is that he's not willing to stop and obey God. And he wants to do things his own way instead. So for example, not long uh, after he's king, he gets into battle because Saul fights all the time. And he's in battle and he wins no problem. And he takes all of this money and all of this cattle and everything back from the army that he just defeated. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to have good intentions with this. I'm going to sacrifice all of this to God and show him I know where this victory came from. Sounds like a great thing. But at that time, you weren't allowed to just go and sacrifice things to God. You had to do it in the right way. You needed a priest. We need a prophet with you who would sacrifice for you. Saul wasn't willing to wait. He had to do things his own way. And even though his intentions were good, he didn't obey what God had for him. So instead he decides to make himself a priest, which you don't do. And then he sacrifices everything all on his own. And Samuel shows up just after everything's happened and said, what are you doing? You know, God had a plan for this. You know that God gave you instructions. Why didn't you obey him? And God speaks through Samuel and says, because you've decided to disobey me, I'm going to take your kingdom away from you. You will be king, but after this, the rest of your family no longer gets to be part of that. It had initially been set up for generations for Saul's family to be in charge of Israel. And God says, I'm going to take your kingdom from you because you didn't choose to stop and obey me. And then a little while later, Saul makes this law and don't know why, but he makes this law out of frustration. He says, until I have my vengeance on this king, no one's allowed to eat a certain kind of food but he didn't do a great job of communicating that to everybody. And his son, his firstborn son goes out and eats that food. And Saul had said, you know what? I'm going to kill whoever doesn't obey this law. And so he gets put in this position where out of his frustration, out of his anger, out of his haste, he's put in a spot where he's supposed to kill his own son. And only by the intervention of God and the rest of Israel does he get to make sure that his son doesn't have to die in that process. But that's the sort of guy we have. And this is the man we find ourselves working with as we hit Samuel chapter 15. And God tells Saul through Samuel, he says, I need you to go and find this city called Amalek and I need you to destroy it. And it sounds really harsh, but what we find out from the Bible is that this was a city full of sin that were not turning back to God. And God says, I want you to go destroy everything. Don't leave anything standing. Don't leave anybody alive. Everything has to be destroyed. Don't take anything for yourself. So Saul takes his army. He heads out. He wins. No problem. Hands down, takes a victory. But that's where his story stops being what God has for him. And he goes off in his own direction. He takes the king prisoner and then he and the army go back and they take everything that looks good to them and keep it for their own. In fact, the Bible says that they only destroyed what looked like it was worthless or of poor quality. Everything else they keep for themselves. So as we hit 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 10, Samuel is going to find Saul to deal with the situation. And in verse 10, God says to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king for he has not been loyal to me and he's refused to obey my commands. When you make God regret a decision, you know things have gone off the rail. God regrets putting Saul in charge of Israel because he's not willing to stop what he's doing and listen to God instead. And Samuel ends up being so hurt by this, so broken that he spends the full night pleading with God, trying to figure out what to do. And then Samuel goes to find Saul the next morning. And I love this back and forth between Saul and Samuel, because I think I've had this conversation with my son, slightly nuanced, but I think I've had this same conversation um, where I've caught him in something that he knows he wasn't supposed to do and he tries to get out of it anyway. 
So Samuel goes and finds Saul, and Saul greets him cheerfully the next morning. May the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's command. Samuel knows that's not true. Saul knows that's not true, but Saul's going to try and get away with it anyway. And Samuel, what I would imagine is a fairly sarcastic tone of voice, says, so what's with all the bleeding of sheep and the goats and the loin of cattle? What's all the animals I hear? What is that, Saul? And Saul responds because he's always got an answer. It's true. The army spare the best of the sheep, the goats and the cattle, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. So immediately Saul backpedals. He said, hey, hey, that's not me. The army took all of that stuff. I've got no control of them. I'm not a king or anything. I can't do anything about it. This is all them. And then he even says, they're going to sacrifice it to the Lord, your God. So Saul distances himself from God and says, I don't have any piece of this. This is all you guys. I don't have any blame to take in this at all. Samuel says, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. He continues, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission. He told you to go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they were all dead. And why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? Samuel lays it out. Look, God knows what happened. I know what happened. Why did you do this? And Saul, unwilling to stop what he was doing, just pushes forward with the fact that he thinks he's right. And he says, I did obey the Lord. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agog, but I destroyed everyone else. And then my troops, they went back. They brought in the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Even when the truth is laid bare before him, Saul is unwilling to stop the direction that he's going. He has to be right. He has to take things his way. And he is unwilling to stop and obey God. And then Samuel responds with the ultimate consequence of what these actions take. But what he responds with has such weight for us today. He says, what's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Now, we don't sacrifice animals today. We are way past that system. But we get the idea of this, right? We worship, we do acts for God. We do things reaching out to the people around us with the best of intentions, good things. But what's more important to God? The things that we put our hands to or that we obey him? And we listen for him to tell us what to do first. And Samuel is very clear that no matter the intention behind what you are doing, and no matter how good it may seem to you, sacrificing to God, worshiping God is a good thing. What's more important to God is obedience. And the reason is obedience says something about our hearts. It talks about what we think about God, where we place him in our lives, what we feel about him, what we believe about who God is. When we are obedient in our hearts first, it says something about where we place God in our lives, that he is first over everything else, above anything I want or I want to do. When I obey God first, I'm showing that he is the one in charge. But when I do things my own way, when I don't obey, then I immediately tell God that he's not here anymore. He's somewhere down in this area. And I put myself 
the things that I want or the things that I want to do way above what God has for my life. So Samuel says, obedience is what's most important. And then he lays out the consequences. He says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now let me play Saul's story forward for you just very quickly. God makes true on his word to Saul very shortly after this. And he goes out and he sends Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel. And Samuel is sent to go find David a shepherd boy in the middle of a field. And David is anointed as the next king of Israel. Now, Saul is king for years to come. But Saul's reign, the rest of his time on the throne in Israel is no longer about him. It becomes about David. What's the story most of us know about David? David and Goliath, exactly. And what we know is that Saul is up with his armies against the Philistines And nobody's willing to do anything because they've got a giant on their side. And it comes down to one-on-one battle and Saul is cowering behind his armies in his tent, afraid to believe that God will stand with him. And this shepherd boy shows up, walks out onto the battlefield, believes in God and takes victory that day because he was obedient to God. From that point forward, David becomes part of the household, becomes best friends with Jonathan, Saul's oldest son. He marries into the family. He marries Saul's daughter. He becomes a general with victory after victory after victory. And the Israelites begin this saying that Saul has won his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul, the king of Israel on the throne is kind of pushed off to the side and everybody's eyes are on David to the point that Saul gets so bitter, so angry that he tries time and again to kill David and take him out of the scene. And at the very end, Saul is once again on the battlefield. He's injured during battle. And instead of returning home in defeat or being taken taken, uh, prisoner, he decides he's going to kill himself and he kills himself in shame. All because he decided not to stop what he was doing and obey God and move in God's direction instead. Now, here's what I'd like you to do for the next little part of this message. I want you to think about the thing in your life that you are doing that you know God wants you to stop. And I want you to think about one thing, right? And we will come back to the importance of that in just a couple of minutes. But I want you to think about one thing that you are doing in your life that you know is not good. You know God would rather you not do. And I want you to think about that thing for just a little bit as we move forward. And I want to give you a couple of reasons why it might be a great idea to stop that thing. First, we don't know what we're missing unless we choose to stop. So when we're doing something in our lives that we know we shouldn't be doing, and then we choose to stop that thing, on the other side is great blessing from God. It could be any number of things, something really significant. Maybe we find more margin and more time in our lives because we chose to stop that thing God wants us to do. Maybe we end up with richer, stronger, better relationships in our lives. Maybe we end up with peace, peace between us and God, peace between us and the people around us, our coworkers, our friends, our family, all because we chose to stop doing that thing that God knows we shouldn't be doing, that we know we shouldn't be doing. We don't know what blessing might be on the other side of stopping that one thing. 
We also don't often know what it's going to cost us to continue doing that thing unless we take the test, unless we play out everything to the end. Think about Saul. When Saul got into all of this and he decided early on, I'm not gonna do things God way, but mine. Do you think he thought that it would cost him his kingdom, his relationships, his family, his life, all because he had great intentions of doing the things that he wanted to do? He didn't play it forward. Think about that thing in your life that you should be stopping and play it forward. Let me give you a few uh, examples. And these are very obviously dramatic to make the point, but I think you'll get the idea. Keep on uh, overeating or smoking or drinking or abusing your body in some way you know is not good. And what might happen at the end? Maybe you don't get to see your grandchildren. Maybe you never get to see your children get married. Maybe you live a long life, but those later years where you're supposed to be able to spend time with the people that you love end up being filled with doctor's appointments and hospitals, all because you chose not to stop abusing your body earlier on. Play out the idea uh, that you party and you drink and you smoke and you get high on the weekends after work, whenever that might be. And what happens? We know people and we know what happens to them, right? DUIs, arrests, records, fights, broken relationships, dead-end jobs, an inability to move forward. They get stuck where they are because they're not willing to stop doing that one thing. Or think about your finances. What if you just keep overspending, spending more than you make all the time, putting a whole bunch of stuff on credit cards, getting into debt? What happens? Your kids don't end up going to the school you want them to go to because you can't afford it. Or maybe they can't do that extracurricular stuff because you can't afford the uniforms or the equipment. Not because you're not working hard, but because you're choosing to not spend your finances wisely and to ask God, how do I do this best? Maybe you lose a car. Maybe a home is repossessed. Maybe you can afford everything, but in order to do that, you are at work seven days a week, 12-hour days. You never get to see your kids, your family, your wife or your husband, the people that you love and you care about. And instead, every moment of your life is spent working just to keep up with a lifestyle that nobody but you really cares about. Play the situation forward and play it forward dramatically. The reason I do that is because when you get to the point where you're going, man, what happened? How did I lose my car? How did I lose my home? Why is it that I have a job that doesn't go anywhere? When you start, you never say, I'm going to be there. But when you're actually there, you always ask, how did I get here? I never meant for that to happen. It is direction and not intention that determines destination. So play the scenarios forward and play them forward dramatically and decide, is the end result what you want to be? Is the end result the story you want to tell? Because what story do you want to tell with your lives? More importantly, what story does God want you to tell with your life? And if we are mired in those situations where we're at a spot, we're saying, I have no idea how I got here. How are we going to be able to tell that story well? Now we're in a new year and it's extremely cliche, but it's a great chance for new beginnings. And if you believe in God or, or if you follow God, you follow Jesus, you probably agree with the idea that God has something different for your life, something different for our lives. He wants us to be more focused on our families. He wants us to grow spiritually or get our finances under control. He wants us to be more involved in our kids' lives. Maybe he wants us just to live healthier lifestyles so we can see our kids grow up. 
In light of the question, what story does God want us to tell with our lives? I want you to ask yourself this. What does God want me to stop doing this year? And I want you to pick one thing. And this is why it's important. I heard a guy talk about this at a leadership conference recently. Uh, He used to try and do a couple of things. Because honestly, if I sit down and I look at my life, I can think of a dozen things in a heartbeat that I need to fix or stop or tweak or make better. But if I try and do all of those things, none of it's going to get done, right? I'm going to be spread too thin. I'm going to try and do too many things at once and it's all going to get out of control. So this guy talked about the idea of picking one single thing, focusing on that for the entire year. By the time his year was done, it was done. It was out of his life. He was good to go. And next year he started something new. And he picked one new thing and he worked on that the next year. And over the last couple of decades, he's seen huge amount of life transformation. But he picked one thing and he worked on that one thing all year long. So to have victory in that, let's pick one thing this morning. And as you think about that one thing, think about it in two ways. Think about external things in our lives, right? The, the alcohol, the drugs, the smoking, um, the driving down Belterra 80 miles an hour, flipping people off because, uh, you know, they're in your way. Whatever it might be, think about the external things in our lives that we know we need to fix, right? Or think about the internal things that we struggle with, bad attitudes or critical attitudes, worrying too much, being overly anxious about life and about the things that we deal with, negative self-talk, where we constantly tell ourselves, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Nobody believes in me. Nobody loves me. Nobody wants to be around me. That voice in the back of our heads that we have a really hard time turning off. Think about one thing this year. And I'm just going to run down a quick list and maybe some of these hit home with you and maybe they'll get your ideas going. Maybe God's already spoken something to you. Some of us this morning, we need to stop being slaves to social media. We need to turn it off. We need to uninstall it. We need to find a way to cut it out of our lives because it's literally something keeping us from living a regular life. We need to stop trying to control everyone and everything around us. We need to stop being critical, being judgmental, picking people apart just because we can. We might need to stop smoking or drinking or hanging out with the wrong crowd. Maybe we need to stop dating the wrong person. Maybe we need to stop overspending or stop eating unhealthily or stop living a lifestyle that physically harms us. Some of us this morning need to stop blaming God. I'm going to say that again because it hits home sometimes. We need to stop blaming God for everything in our lives. Some of us this morning need to stop holding on to a grudge. We need to choose to forgive, to let go of a hurt and move out of a situation that we are stuck in. Now today, as a church family, we're beginning a fast. And for the next two weeks, we're gonna fast together. If you are new to fasting, it means we cut something out of our lives. And biblically, um, when you read about a fast, it usually has to do with food. So some of us are gonna be stopping uh, eating sweets, or sugary things, or drinking sugary drinks. We're going to stop eating meat. We're going to just do fruits and vegetables. Some of us might stop eating food altogether. Uh, You need to figure out what works for you physically. Some of us decide to fast from things like social media, or entertainment, movies, music, things that take our attention away from God. And we do it for two reasons. 
First, we do it in order to take something essential like food out of our lives and remind ourselves that everything we need comes from God. And so for two weeks, we focus on the fact that we don't get our essentials from ourselves, we get it from God. The other reason we fast is to be able to focus on God. So especially with things like if you decide to fast media or entertainment, and you instead pour that time that you would normally spend at TV at night into time with God, on your knees in prayer, in the word, talking with your spouse or your kids about God and what God has for you as individuals and as a family. Now, if you're new to fasting, I wanna encourage you to check out our website. You can download a guide there to kind of talk you through a little more of it, get you more into the details. That's kind of the idea behind the fast. So for the next two weeks, as a church family, we fast from something. And I love this time of year. It's an amazing way to start the year, to focus on God and let him have an opportunity to speak to our hearts. Now, also as part of that fast, I want to encourage you to fast for something. And this morning, I'd like you to think about fasting for the thing that God has put on your heart to stop doing. Fast for strength to stop. Fast for courage to not go back to it once it's out of your life. Fast for the strength to talk to somebody about it. We are victorious in these things when we're accountable to them. And we're not accountable when it's just us by ourselves. So find somebody you can talk to and talk openly with them about it. Say, hey, this is the thing God told me. I'm cutting this out of my life. I need you to help me stick with it. And have them come and ask you, hey, how's it going? Are you still struggling with it? Are you going back to it? Have you been able to stay away for a while? Or maybe you need to call them sometimes. Hey, it's a rough night. I'm getting ready to go back to this. I need you to talk me through this. Find somebody to be accountable. And finally, fast for faith that God will get you through this because he will. There's one more verse I want to read that ties into that. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're told this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So let us stop doing those things that we know we shouldn't do. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So two things out of this verse that I want to point out. The first is this. We are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. We aren't doing any of this alone. In your seats, there's a card. And on the card, it says, I decided to stop. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've written down the decisions that we've made, deciding to go, deciding to start. And here's the really cool part. When you're done writing on that card, as you leave today, I want you to put that in the offering bins in the back. They get to our elder team and to our prayer team. And for the last couple of weeks, we have seen a couple hundred of these decisions come in. People choosing to go, people choosing to start because God has prompted them as this year begins to do something different. And the reason it's encouraging is that we're not doing it by ourselves. Someone at the end of the row from you, somebody in the next section over, somebody from the first service is probably deciding to stop the exact same thing you're deciding to stop this morning. We don't do it alone. We are surrounded by a family, a community. All of us want to see God change our lives in a direction that's with him. And so we do this together. I think that's absolutely cool. Here's the second thing. We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We don't do it out of our own strength. 
God tells me to stop something and I do it on my own, there is no way it happens. But if I lean into the people around me, and if I believe that God is gonna be the one to get me through this, that Jesus is on my side and he walks me through this, then it happens because Jesus promises that he will perfect our faith. He will make us the people he wants us to be if we allow him to do that. So in just a minute, we're gonna watch a music video. And during that video, write down on that card, what's the one thing God is asking you to stop this year? Make it real, make it physical, make it something that you think about on a regular basis. And then turn that card in the back so we can pray with you for that. So let's check out this video. Let's let God speak to our hearts and then we'll wrap up in prayer at the end. You know, it's not often a single decision that puts us in a place we don't want to be. It's the choice to continue down that road, to stay on the path, to make that decision over and over and over again that puts our stories in the wrong place. But the opposite is true as well. When we choose to stop what we are doing, to obey God, to turn around and start making decisions in the right direction, we end up with a story that is amazing to tell other people because God is in that story. So this morning, my prayer for all of us is that as we choose to stop something, that we stay in that decision and God can work amazing things in our lives so that our story is his story. Let's pray and then we'll wrap up this morning. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to hear from you this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we go into the fast for the next couple of weeks, that you would speak clearly and strongly to our hearts about the things you want us to look at and really evaluate in our lives. And specifically, that one thing this year that you want us to stop, that one thing that we need to let go of, that we need to stop doing and instead turn around and obey you. And I pray for courage and strength and faith so that we would have victory in you and because of you. Father God, thank you so much for blessing our time today. I pray as we go out this week that we would live our lives for you. And Father God, just let us enjoy you and each other this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. I hope you'll have a great Sunday. We'll see you all next week. Be safe driving on the roads. Have a great week, guys. When I went on my first international mission trip, it was a life-changing experience. It grew my faith immensely. I was stretched out of my comfort zone. And so if that's you, you want to grow in your relationship with God this year in 2016, I think one of the best ways would be to go on one of our Go trips. We have two Guatemala trips coming up this summer, and the next step is we have information meetings next week after each of the services. So come out to one of those meetings. You can also find information on our website, theepicchurch.com. And one of our trips has a medical missions component to it. So if you have medical experience, we'd love for you to join us on that trip. Well, welcome to Epic. My name is Sarah. I have several announcements for us this morning. If you are a guest with us, we are so glad that you are here this morning. We'd love for you to swing by the Connection Center after the service, and we'd love to meet you and give you some information about Epic. Also, if you are a guest and you have students or children, we have some environments designed just for your kids. We have environments for babies, for two and three-year-olds, for pre-K and K, for first through fifth graders, and for sixth to eighth graders in Pipeline. And these are just for your kids. I have three kids and they love coming to our Epic Kids environments. 
And so we encourage you to get them plugged in there. And if you do have your children with you in this service this morning, we do want to let you know that if they get restless or if they need to stretch their legs, we do have a family zone set up on the other side of the curtain in the teacher's lounge. And so feel free to take them there. We pipe in the audio from the service so you won't miss out on the message. Men, you've got a great opportunity um, coming up to hang out with other men from Epic. On Friday, January 29th at PC3, there's a local men's event. It's going to be tons of fun. The fun starts at 4.30, dinner is at 5.30, and the speakers are on at 7. You can sign up online or see Rick or or David in the back at one of the tables, and they'll be able to answer any questions that you have. Today, we have our Starting Point info meetings after each of the services. So if you sign up for Starting Point, please, um, if you have children, go get your kids and then bring them with you to the Starting Point information meetings, which will be in the teacher's lounge over here to your left. Also, summer camp is coming up for our students, for 6th to 12th grade students. So parents, if you have a student who wants to go to camp, we're going to have an information meeting for them after the second service on January 31st. Also, we have a weekend to remember um, that event for married couples is coming up throughout the whole year. There's some information for you on your seat with a, um, a coupon for special pricing. And those weekends are a great opportunity to connect with your spouse, to focus on your marriage. Tim and I went when we were first married, and it was so fun and so helpful. So I encourage you to grab that coupon and look up that information. Also, if you call Epic Your Home and want to continue to help us to reach our community, there's a couple ways that you can give. You can give online at theepicchurch.com or at the giving boxes behind each of the seating sections. And lastly, one of our um, church family members, um, one of the families, Steve and Caprice Williams and their sons, Dustin and Seth, suffered a terrible house fire yesterday, and they lost their home in the house fire. Thankfully, all four of them um, and their animals are safe, um, but of course, they're just experiencing great devastation and loss from that. And so we're going to be walking with them through what do they need and how can we help them, but we just want to let you know this morning so you could be praying for them. Um, and would you join with me now, and let's pray um, for them together. Father, we love you, and we thank you that you are good and faithful even in the midst of incredible, unexpected, just tragedy and loss. God, we thank you for protecting them, that they are safe and their sons and are safe. And God, would you just provide what they need? Would you provide the emotional support, the comfort, the strength as they just grieve this loss and process this? Lord, would you provide for them physically um, with a new home and just all that they need Um, as they rebuild their lives, Father. Would you show us how we can support them as a church family? And God, as we continue on in our series this morning, My Story, Lord, would you speak to each of our lives of what you want us to do from here? And would you help us to follow through? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.